Schönen guten Abend, Wien! Good evening! Welcome to PCCC! Number nine! No, sorry, I'm not feeling... Can, like, I, I know that this is... We have to do this again. Yeah, I'm not happy. You can okay, do okay, better than this. Like, yeah. okay. Come on! Okay. Do you want to go first? Hello! Oh, thank you. Oh, come on, you guys. You didn't have to. Oh, my God, this is too much. Oh, thank you. I feel loved. I feel loved. There are seats here in the front. Darlings, I think there are a couple. Are those three? One, two, four, uh, three, four seats. One, two, there. four seats there, yes. This is Josef, he's the mathematician in the gang. So, nice to see all of you here. Who is here for the first time? Okay, that's better. Yeah, but, but because I think like last time it was about half of the audience. Yes, and that was a little upsetting. Mm -hmm. Because then I'm wondering where like, you know, all the people who were there the that time before, you know, and didn't come this time. So, okay, who was, has already been here? So I can see, like, the fans. Wow. Oh, nice. Thank Give you for your, coming back. Yes, a big hand for you. And also, a very big hand. And we are very impressed how good you were with the wardrobe situation. Wasn't that just smooth? Like, how everybody came early and brought yeah. their jacket there? Wasn't that, didn't that feel good, mm. people? Didn't that feel good? Yeah, that, thank you. Do that again. So, it's the revolution. Yes. That is a great theme. Uh, yes, because I came up with it. Yosef yes. <laughs> came up with that. He actually comes up with most of the themes. Mm, that's true. Yes, and he writes all the funny little texts yes, for the I event. Mm, yeah. And I... Um, just leans back. <laughs> I, yes, I just lean back. That's what I do. But no. she's like a constant inspiration to me. So that's why all of that is very easy. So Okay, yeah. so, so that's what you say now. Do you know, remember what you said a week ago? The first thing when we came to the meeting? Yeah, that I'm like kind of fed up that people actually think that this is the Denise Bourbon comedy show. So that's like a little bit frustrating when I'm like over Christmas, I was at Maria Alta and then like people walk up to me, aren't you the guy in Denise Bourbon's comedy show? And I'm <laughs> a big hand for Josef Jöchel who started this comedy show. <laughs> Together with me. Thank you. No, okay, so all your brilliant ideas, Josef. How do you come up with your comedy skits? Um, um, I just uh, I brew myself a little uh, tea and then I just put a little bit Alanis on my stereo <laughs> and then uh, I sit in front of the computer and I, you know, I just write it and I'm, I'm just naturally funny so I, don't, I can't really answer that. Oh God, that's going to work out so well for our workshop that we're going to do in March. Yeah. Okay, so a little tea and a little Alanis Morissette and then you're good to go. It's like rain. <laughs> You live, okay. you learn, Denise. Yeah, I wanted to, I, I just asked you that question because I wanted to tell everybody about my little book. Because I, I have a little book. Denise has one hand in her pocket. Yeah. Oh, oh come on! <laughs> Stop making Alanis Morris headpants! I'm on now. Okay, okay, so I have a book. No, I started, like, I thought, like, a year ago, I should start, like, write, like you know, my brilliant ideas when I'm walking around and I'm like, oh my God, I should write them down. So I got this little book from a friend when she went to New York and it says Lesbian Journal. And then I added four jokes that I wrote myself, like children do, you know? I mean, as if somebody would find this on the street and then they were like, they were like this is not a lesbian journal, but if I write four jokes, then they know what they found. Yeah, there's some brilliant jokes in there. I'm really excited. Yeah, my email address is in there also in case I lose it. Okay. <laughs> so then I think that people will contact me. Mm. Go like, did you lose your lesbian journal for jokes? Uh, yeah. Aren't you precious? I am precious. Tell me about uh, the, the theme from tonight. If there is no... It's not my revolution. 
Um, if I'm not invited, it's not my revolution. So, nah, seriously, it's like... Um, <laughs> okay, <laughs> I don't I'm sorry, be no, 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 no. Okay, wait, audience, how much of a white cis male thing to say is that? <laughs> if I don't feel invited to your revolution, then fuck, fuck it. I it's just, not important. I just want to say, I don't want to be like the counter-revolutionary. Um, I just want to be guest list to the revolution. <laughs> I want to have a plus one. Okay, so there's guest lists that are revolution. Okay. Yes, I, um, like I want to be a very important revolutionary. So if any, anybody of you starts it, be sure to invite, invite me. Okay. Okay, so uh, Denise, uh, if, if there's no blank, uh, then it's not your revolution. Yeah, I wanted to come up with something really funny, um, but I couldn't. Because I'm not as brilliant as you. And I had no tea and no Alanis. Uh, so, uh, it's actually if there's no joking. If there's no joking, uh, I'm not coming. I used to make myself very popular at political meetings with that. Oh, really? Yeah. There was a lot of joking and a lot of people who thought that was inappropriate. <laughs> but you don't! No. Hey, I think we need to warm them up a little bit. Uh, yeah, okay. I, I I'm not sure you yeah. get the concept of comedy. Uh, you laugh and also don't hold back. You laugh really loud, and you can fake laugh, because we don't care. <laughs> because we can't see you. We can just hear you. It's very easy. <laughs> oh my god, I'm so good. Uh, I, I can't do that, and uh, you don't have to. Yeah, you do. And then also, if you th find something uh, exceptionally funny, you go like, woo, and then maybe a little applause. Oh God, I was so cute. I didn't mean that literally, but okay. I can only go up from here, so we promise. Yes. Yeah. What was your first act, uh, political act you did? Um, it was actually, I was eight years old and I was in primary school and um, we wrote a little test and our teacher wanted our parents uh, to, to sign it and my father has a very weird hang handwriting. So uh, she didn't believe me that this was actually my father's signature. She was thinking I was forging it. So I stood up to her and said, this is my father's signature. Yeah, you did that when you were eight. Excuse yeah. me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And this is, you know, all the Austrians in the room know it, like, because we have, like, grades for behavior, for conduct at school. Of course you do. And this at the, at the, at the tender age of eight. That went well for you. Like, okay. <laughs> This, like, only got me zufriedenstellend. <laughs> so, uh, and, like, of course, marked the beginning of my uh, rebel career. <laughs> so, uh, how to top that, Denise? Okay, so I was six. <laughs> yeah. Did you hear that? So I was six, I was in kindergarten. Um, yeah, it was serious business in kindergarten, I'm telling you that, yeah? So uh, one of my classmates in kindergarten had gotten this electric guitar, like toy guitar with buttons. So I thought that we should organize a little rock festival, and, uh, which I then organized, and we had different musicians. We just had one instrument, but I mean, who cares? And, uh, and then I also wanted to, top of that, I also wanted to have refreshments for the audience, which were the other kids in the kindergarten who didn't get to play on the guitar. And I wanted them to serve like soda, like soda pops and, 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 and little cookies. And then the teachers said, no, that's too much. Boo! I, I'm like, excuse me. So I got my whole kindergarten, I uh, collected everybody in one room, I all gave them like sticks and tools and hammers, it, it was Sweden, we had hammers uh, and, and stuff, and then I said, everybody, on the count of three, make as much noise as you possibly can and we will not stop until we get our concert with the refreshments. <laughs> Do you know how loud kindergarten kids are? Yeah, so we did that. Wow, Denise, that totally doesn't sound made up. Once a rebel, always a rebel. 
Okay, so I think we're ready for our first performance. Yeah, because that was like kind of our little Einleitung, because we did not go to this person's school. Yeah, because it's a very special yeah, school. Yeah, we wish we would have gone to that yeah. school. A big applause for Alex Franz Zietbauer! Hello. Hi. So yeah, when I think about revolution, I'm immediately brought back to middle school. Because, uh, so I grew up in Portland, Oregon, um, a city that's known for its lesbian bookstores and um, food snobs, but above all, its citizens' deep love for the great mother earth. And uh, which actually reminds me of the first time I met Denise Bourbon. Um, it, was, it was actually sort of traumatizing. <laughs> uh, we were backstage at the anti-Valentine's ball and Denise told me that I was such a hippie and that she was a punk. And on principle, punks hate hippies. <laughs> and I was like a little taken aback and I was like, oh God, like how can I save myself in this moment, you know? And so I said, did you know that the clitoris is the only human body part that never ages? <laughs> it's, it's a true fact, by the way. I guess, I guess I thought that like this information would be some sort of bridge, you know, between <laughs> hippie and punk mentalities, which um, might have been a diplomatic tool that I learned at the environmental middle school. Every day at the environmental middle school began with morning meeting. Um, morning meeting was sort of like this DIY, all school, like hippie concert, basically, with acoustic guitar accompaniment by John, one of our teachers. We were on a strict first name basis policy. And so John would be up there with his guitar, like where I am now, but more at your level because, you know, for him to be raised would be sort of against the morals of the school. And, and, uh, and there would be like this old school projector, you know, those kind with the transparent paper, where like, the, and so lyrics for all the songs would be projected so that we could all sing along together. And we sang songs like Imagine, uh, Where Have All the Flowers Gone, Let It Be, you know, other hippie classics too. And, but our theme song, the school theme song, was Run, River, Run. Uh, and we sang that one every single day. And, and sometimes, John would even change the lyrics to the songs so that they'd be more sort of like environmental or school-centered. And uh, one such alteration was on the theme song, Run, River, Run. And he rewrote the lyrics to celebrate our school principal, Sarah. And uh, it went like this. Our mother, Sarah, gave birth to this school, <laughs> creating this life as a dream, gathering people, creating a pool, joining together in a powerful stream. And it goes on and on, watching the river run further and further from things that we've done, leaving them one by one. And it has just begun, watching the river run, listening and learning and yearning. Run, river, run. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So, at morning meeting, we also had to listen to the eighth grade speeches. So when you reach the top of the hippie pyramid as an eighth grader, you were asked to write a motivational speech, you know, to present to the entire school. Mine was about horseback riding <laughs> and how boys should not be judged for their deep love of riding horses 
and that everyone, every human being who so desired to ride, ho ride horses should do so with pride because horses are beautiful and their sweat smells so good. <laughs> you know, when I was trying to go back in time to remember this part of my life, I posted on Facebook to ask all of the environmental middle school graduates if anyone had heard like, or remembered any special gems from our time there. And one of my high school friends wrote, okay, I know I didn't go to EMS, alas, but wasn't there an EMS teacher that breastfed an abandoned baby raccoon? Or was that just a middle school rumor? <laughs> the best part? <laughs> The best part is that then someone else responded to that and they said, no, 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 that was just a rumor. In reality, she just bottle fed a baby squirrel her breast milk. <laughs> I, I <laughs> there's not much of a difference there. But uh, speaking of breastfeeding, um, the crown jewel of our middle school experience was definitely midwifery day. So I don't, if everyone knows what midwifery is, but mid, midwifery is the practice of a midwife or a doula, so someone who supports um, someone with a vagina giving birth, you know, if they don't want to do it in a hospital, or even if they do, actually, I think. But um, anyways, so Sarah, the one who gave birth to our school, uh, <laughs> she was also a practicing midwife, and, and so she wanted us to know about that and midwifery, so she gave birth to Midwifery Day. And uh, at Midwifery Day, we all had to come to school with like a, like a kilo sack of flour, like mail, you know, like you go to the grocery store and you get a little bag of flour, and you could dress it up as a baby if you wanted to. But the point was that you had to carry around the sack of flour with you, like all throughout the school, like everywhere you went, you know, so you could know what it's like to be a mother with a newborn child and, you know, always have to have a baby with you. But this was like not every middle schooler's strong point because you would go to the bathroom and there'd be like this little sack of flour dressed up as a baby next to the toilet. Or it'd be like, you'd find them in the hallway or, or in the organic garden, you know, or in the native plant garden. Or, or in the garden for free-range chickens. <laughs> and so, anyways, aside from this baby simulation, there were three main classes of uh, Midwifery Day. The first was like Babies 101, like how to take care of babies, rocking babies, listening to babies, you know, analyzing babies' cries, stuff like that. And then the second class was all about water births. And so we watched this, like, really long narrative documentary about um, this woman's water birth, this person's water birth with their family. So there's uh, mom and dad and the two kids and they're all gathered in the pool together with mom for the labor. And um, what I remember most strongly from this video is that the baby came out looking like a Smurf. It was like the, the most real blue color it, it was really quite frightening. And I learned through the documentary that that is because when a baby's born underwater, it has to wait to take its first breath so it comes out blue. And that's really supposed to be very good for its lung development, but anyways. So the, the last class of Midwifery Day was by far the most revolutionary. Uh, we also watched a video in this class, but it was much shorter and, and much more potent it was 10 minutes long, and it was titled Women Giving Birth in the Squatting Position. And it, was, it, was, it, it featured 20 different women, and it was really just focused on the moment of birth. So the moment the baby exits the vagina. And it was like a montage, so there were like 20, 30-second clips just of this moment. And I remember that the setting for the video was really strange and really sparse. It was just like this sort of warehousey feeling. And then there was like this beige towel just lying on the floor. I'm gonna move this. So there's just like this beige towel lying on the floor and this metal, like almost like a ballet bar, but smaller and all made out of metal. And they're all just holding onto this bar, just like, and just, and it's just like babies just coming out one after the other, just like baby, 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 boom, boom, boom you know? And then, and we're all just like, 
was like really soaking that in. And then the film ends and the teacher, Karen, she passes around these lumps of clay to all of the students. And she says, let's all sculpt our personal response to this film. How are you feeling right now? What images, what thoughts come to mind? Put that into the clay. I just have one more little number for you. Our mother Denise gave birth to this show, <laughs> creating this night as a dream, gathering people to laugh with the queens, joining together in a powerful revolution. Alex Franz Zertbauer! Es war super! Außer das letzte Lied vielleicht. Ja, ähm, Revolution, das sind, ähm, das sind gesellschaftliche Veränderungen, die in kurzer Zeit passieren. Also, ähm, und es ist lustig, also wenn die, wenn die Leute über Revolution sprechen, dann äh, sprechen sie meistens über was Vergangenes. Also 1789, Französische Revolution, 1917, Russische Revolution, 1968, Sexuelle Revolution, Studentenrevolution, in Wien die Uniferkelei. Wer kennt's? Ja. Yeah. 1996 die Internetrevolution, 2006 die iPhone-Revolution, 2011 die Bubble Tea-Revolution, 2012 die Frozen Yogurt-Revolution. Letztes Jahr war so ein Waffelgeschäft auf der, auf der Lerchenfelderstraße. Ja. Das hat in, in Wien-Neubau für ziemlich viel Unruhe gesorgt. Ja, also weil, aber eigentlich sind ja Revolutionen was Zukünftiges. Also die Revolutionen kommen ja erst. Aber äh, mit uns Bobos ist es so ein bisschen schwierig. Also wir lassen uns nur sehr, sehr schwer hinter einen politischen Wagen spannen. Ich habe so das Gefühl, in meinem Freundeskreis ist das so die beliebteste politische Bewegung gerade das Tiny House Movement. Kennt, kennt, kennt Sie das Tiny House Movement? Ja, da drüben lachen ein paar. Das Tiny House Movement kennt man vor allem von Facebook. Da kann man es liken und gewinnen. Und äh, naja, das Tiny House Movement ist halt so diese absolut mehrheitsfähige Idee, äh, Häuser zu bauen auf 10 Quadratmetern und die dann diese Häuser herumzuführen. Und ein Leben voller Abenteuer zu leben. Und äh, hat auch zugegebenermaßen sehr viele Vorteile. Also für so ein Tiny House brauchst du halt irrsinnig wenig Baumaterial. Und, äh, und auch so die, die Heizungskosten sind sehr gering. Aber das hat halt auch damit zu tun, dass äh, Tiny Houses nur auf Facebook existieren. <lacht> Ja, Tiny Houses. Übrigens, uh, Fun Fact, Fun Fact uh, Tiny House, uh, das Tiny House Movement ist eine politische Bewegung, die ihren Ursprung in Wien genommen hat. Also wer, wer um, so hinter Museumsquartier, <lacht> bei der Burggasse, da gibt es das kleinste Haus Wiens. Da ist dieser Uhrmacher drin. <lacht> Und das Haus ist, glaube ich, schon 1856 gebaut worden. Das ist einer der seltenen Fälle, wo, wo so wirklich so revolutionäre Bewegungen von Wien ausgegangen sind. Naja, jedenfalls, ähm, also ich habe so das Gefühl, dass die, dass die Revolution, dass die so relativ bald kommt. Und habe deswegen so äh, immer so ein bisschen das Gefühl, man könnte sie verpassen. Weil ähm, ich weiß ja nicht, wie es euch geht, aber ich schaue zum Beispiel am Wochenende nicht jeden Tag auf der Standard.at. Und äh, da kann es schon sein, dass man mal so größere politische Umwälzungen verpasst. 
Deswegen äh, habe ich sowas entwickelt äh, wie Revolution FOMO. Also <lacht> Fear of Missing Out. Äh, eigentlich FOMO. Fear of Missing Out of the Revolution. Und ähm, ja, es also, ist halt, und das ist eigentlich mein Albtraum. Also, äh, ich stehe auf an einem Sonntag im Frühling und mache einen Spaziergang in Hitzing. Und äh, gehe da so vorbei an lichterloh brennenden Vorgärten. Und ich weiß von nichts und denke mir halt so, oh, die Grillsaison beginnt aber früh. Und dann äh, gehe ich halt so in den ersten Bezirk und äh, gehe beim Graben entlang und die ganzen, die ganzen Schaufenster sind eingeschlagen. Und ich denke mir, oh, das schaut aber schön melancholisch aus. Das ist was für Instagram. Und Fotografie ist irgendwie so Hashtag Broken Windows. Und erst, wenn ich dann halt so ähm, auf dem Heldenplatz gehe, bei diesem, bei diesem Pseudo-Ersatzparlament, das wir da haben, und gehe dann hinter das Parlament und dann da bei dem, beim Volksgarten, bei diesem Eisenzaun, da sind halt die Köpfe von der Regierung aufgespießt. Also ähm, Sebastian Kurz, Daneben, daneben der Kickel und die Hartinger Klein. Und das ist dann so der erste Moment, an, an dem ich mir denke, halt so, wow, what is happening? Und, ähm, und, und äh, sagt es halt dann auch so laut. Und dann so ein Passant sagt dann zu mir, ey Josef, weißt du nicht, dass wir Revolution haben? Und ich sag dann halt, ähm, ja sicher. <lacht> Natürlich. Habe ich auf Twitter gelesen. <lacht> ja, aber es ist eigentlich so eine, ein wirklicher Albtraum von mir. Und das ist ja auch das so mit der, mit der Revolution, das ist gar nicht, so, gar nicht so lustig eigentlich. Also, halt so, also ich glaube gerade unser, unsere Generation wird schwierig haben in, in postrevolutionären Zeiten. Weil, also postrevolutionäre Depression, it's a thing. Also das, ist, also das ist auch passiert, jetzt wird es ein bisschen educational, das ist auch passiert nach 1917 in Russland. Also die, die Bolschewiken haben das Winterpalais eingenommen und haben dann erstmal zehn Tage lang die ganzen Weinvorräte vernichtet. Und... Aber dann, als dieser ganze Geist der Revolution vergangen ist, ähm, da, da sind sie dann irgendwie traurig geworden, weil sie halt so enttäuscht waren, weil sie halt von diesen ganzen ähm, revolutionären Wirren, also von dieser abenteuerlichen Zeit, haben sie halt zurück müssen in ihr langweiliges, prosaisches Leben. Und sind halt daraufhin depressiv geworden. Und ich habe halt so das Gefühl, dass es uns halt vielleicht ähnlich geht, also weil wir sind ja dann in postrevolutionären Zeiten, sind wir halt so konfrontiert mit den, mit den neuen Menschen, mit den revolutionären Subjekten, die ohne Kapitalismus aufwachsen, ohne Homophobie, ohne Rassismus, ohne Patriarchat. Und also die halt total chill drauf sind eigentlich. Und, und ich habe so das Gefühl, dass wir dann die Arschlöcher sind. Und äh, ich habe jetzt so das Gefühl, dass wir dann diese ganzen dummen Sachen machen müssen. Also zum Beispiel hat irgendwie zum Beispiel äh, Geld einsammeln für ein Gemeinschaftsgeschenk zum Geburtstag. Das wird dann halt irgendwie, also wir gehen zu so einem revolutionären Subjekt hin und äh, sagen halt so, du, wir haben ja für die Maria gemeinsam dieses Laserschwert gekauft. Und du hast gesagt, du zahlst einen Zehner dazu. Und dieser neue Mensch, das revolutionäre Subjekt, sagt dann zu mir, Josef, sorry, aber es ist nicht mehr Kapitalismus. Es gibt kein Geld mehr. Und ja, und dann zischen sie halt ab in ihre klitzekleinen Tiny Houses. Und ja, und mir bleibt dann eigentlich nur übrig, dass ich dann halt so passiv-aggressiv werde. Und dann sag, es ist leicht super, wenn das WC neben, der, neben dem Herd steht oder so. Keine, Keine Ahnung, das war, das war nur meine postrevolutionäre Fantasie. Vielen Dank. 
Ähm, Dankeschön. Die da drüben sind besonders progressiv. Ähm, ja, jetzt äh, kommt äh, die nächste Künstlerin. Sie hat uns bereits bei unserem ersten PCCC 2017 unterstützt. Ähm, sie ist, ähm, kann man sagen, die bedeutendste Underground-Poetin von ganz Österreich. Sie hat, äh, ist gerade zurückgekommen, sie hat bei den, äh, den Beatnik-Weltmeisterschaften in San Francisco den goldenen Rollkragenpullover gewonnen. <lacht> Bitte, einen herzlichen Applaus für die großartige Pune Ansari! I don't know if you heard, we're filming this. <gasps> and it's the first time that we make a Tonaufnahme for like uh, podcast. a podcast, that's what it's called. <laughs> yeah. So he's a. So. Okay. Danke. Ja, so, ich lese jetzt einfach irgendwas. Ich bin ein bisschen ähm, nervös, eventuell wegen diesem Kamerading, aber scheiß drauf. Aber so prinzipiell Revolution, yeah. Scheißt sie jetzt wirklich aus Protest in die U6? Steht sie so chicken vom Griller in der U6, schwitzt Bier und schaust, dass ihr fährt extra, schmiert sie euch mit blutigen Steaks ein, furzt laut euer Horn, nehmt sie euer Hupen mit, sammelt sie eure Endschnappspeibe in einem Hydranten, geilt euch am Ekel auf der anderen, die euch eurer Freiheit berauben wollen, eurer körperlichen Natur, die No-Fun-Fraktion, die olfaktorischen Spießer mit ihren Scheuklappen, die sich nicht öffnen und nicht öffnen. Und ihr werft eure Därme in die Luft wie Seilgymnastik, die Resttropfen fetzen raus, 360 Grad auf sie und peitscht sie weich mit euren schwer getränkten, schla schlatzigen Lasso. Klatsch, klatsch, klatsch. Ah, 40 Grad Griller U6, die Kohle in den Augen und dann kidnappt sie die U6 und versenkt sie Donau. Besetzt dann danach den Waggon nochmal, verschimmelt drin, extra fertig, damit alle wissen, dass ihr keine Nazis seid. Eine Frau im Internet macht Wiener Schnitzel mit grüner Soße. Ist so eine deutsche Soße. Schmeckt gut. Sie hat keinen Schnitzelklopfer, jetzt klopft sie die Schnitzel mit der Pfanne. Mir fällt ein, man könnte auch einen Hammer benutzen oder mit dem Auto drüber fahren. Einfach das Schnitzel in einen Gefrierbeutel geben, dann mit dem Volkswagen drüber fahren. Dann sollte man das perfekte Schnitzel haben, es geht bis nach Tirol. Stuhltransplantation wird demnächst urbig. Man hört immer wieder davon. Sie transplantieren erst seit den 1950er Jahren das erste Mal Kot. Dennoch offenbart es sich als fulminanter Erfolg. Fahrt wie Stammzellen ist aber voll gechillt und sie sagen, es hat auch Auswirkungen auf die Laune. Einst werden sie vorm Flex rezeptpflichtige Scheißzäpfchen verchecken und Männer auf Darkroom-Kur schicken statt Chemo oder Impfung. In der Schule nach der Stellung. Pflicht. Genießen wir die letzten Stunden einer Ära, in der die Heilmedizin auf Pflanzenkunde beruhte. 
In der Zukunft sind alle vegan, fummeln aber gegenseitig an ihren Immunsystemen herum und kannibalisieren umher. Sie tauschen Wirten und Bakterienvölker aus und experimentieren wild und gekonnt und kennen sich uraus. Sie können zwei Stunden Fieber evozieren, um sich vor was drücken zu können und bei gebannter Gefahr sind sie wieder fix wie ein Turnschuh. Uppers, Downers, everything, for everybody, einzig durch die Kraft aus der Scheiße. Wer hätte das noch vor 100 Jahren gedacht? Niemand. In der Zukunft kriegen unsere Kinder einen USB-Stick hinten hinein beim Kinderarzt und Fodora ist schon unterwegs mit dem individuell therapeutischen Zäpfchen-Set. Entschuldigung. Alle. Die Sozialministerin lehnt Sozialleistungen als Kommunismus ab. Was unbedingt sein muss, lässt sie angewidert durchgehen und schaut weg. Das Sozialministerium ist schließlich dazu da, dass sich alle vor ihm ducken, schämen und fürchten. Es wurde ursprünglich erfunden, in erster Linie, um uns zu bestrafen und nicht zuzulassen, dass uns das Leben zu angenehm werden würde, damit das Abendland nicht untergeht. Wenn es zu angenehm wird, geht es nämlich unter. Komfort ist der Beginn des Untergangs. Am besten man schafft alles ab und spart alles endlich ein. Er setzt es durch einen Peitschentrupp. Sie kommen und pumpern an die Türe zu Hause. Tok, tok. Dann brechen sie die Tür auf. Dann schlagen sie dich. Deine Kinder, deine Eltern, deine Freundinnen. Nehmen sich, was sie wollen. Die ganzen Wertgegenstände, an denen nur du hängst. Die als Sachspenden vollkommen egal sind. Blutüberströmt liegt man nach dem Besuch am Boden. Das wäre mal eine normale Aktion, oder? Für ein Sozialamt auf dem neuen Weg. Nicht so soziale Gießkannenhilfestellung für faule Linksradikale. Sollen sie nach Stalingrad gehen, wenn es ihnen hier bei uns nicht passt. Das Sozialministerium ist bitteschön kein Streichelzoo. Ja, okay. <lacht> Wenn ihr euch mit Fußball nicht auskennt, kein Problem. Ich analysiere euch die Fußball-WM. Fußball. Muss man immer viel laufen, 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 laufen. Dann, wenn man endlich da ist, halb tot beim Scheißball mit den brennenden Lungen, dann schießt in irgendein Arschloch tausend Meter weg. Dann muss man wieder in die andere Richtung laufen, zweimal 45 Minuten. Dann spucken einen alle an und stellen einem einen Haxel, dann faulen sie einen, man bricht sich das Schienbein. Die Kameras zoomen einen ins Gesicht, um die Schmerzen aufzufangen. Dann kommt ein Espresschirurg und amputiert einem das Bein. Man kriegt Eis drauf, 30 Sekunden. Dann geht's wieder weiter, laufen, laufen, laufen. Eventuell ein Kopfball. Alle grölen, alle in einem Cluster und zünden einen bunten Rauch an und trommeln einem Lieder. Die Stimmung ist am Kochen und man ist aber unten und muss laufen und laufen. Dann am Ende bekommt man einen Pokal aus Gold, 5000 Millionen Euro und ein Supermodel zur Freundin. Vielleicht schreibe ich ein Kinderbuch. Der kleine Hooligan. Es geht um einen Hooligan, seine Träume, seine Ziele, seinen Werdegang. Am Anfang machen ihn alle fertig und hänseln ihn und quälen ihn und er wird nicht ernst genommen. Aber eines Tages hält er es nicht mehr zusammen und explodiert der Hooligan aus ihm. Er zuckt aus, macht alle fertig mit dem Eisenstock, liegen die Zähne am Boden und seither ist er der König der englischen Fußballstadien. Niemand traut sich, seinen Namen auszusprechen, auch wenn er nicht anwesend ist. In seine Augen traut sich niemand zum Schauen, außer er hat es befohlen, weil er sich gern die Angst in den Augen anschaut, bevor er zwischen sie schießt. Vier regiert das Königreich. Der Aufstieg eines Mannes aus der Working-Class-Baracke, Vorstadt, Industriehölle zu einem Gott. Alle Macht, die es gibt auf der Welt, wird ihr entzogen und versammelt sich um ihn, wie ein unsichtbarer Orkan, dessen Auge er ist. Er spückt 
er spuckt überall auf die Straße, hat einen Akzent wie ein Schwein. Sowas wie Oliver Twist, aber modern für die heutige Zeit. Sie sagen immer, Kinderbücher gehen gut. Was schreiben Leute sonst als Kinderbücher? Rudi geht in die Schule. Sie schildern alles voll Mikro, gell? Ein Kapitel, wo er über die Ampel geht, mit einem Ampelgedicht. Sowas könnte ich echt machen. Eltern verkaufen ihre Nieren für ihre Kinder. In der Zukunft wird die Arbeitswoche so gemacht sein. Das ist so ein paar Jahre her. Also so, ich, ja, ich finde, das ist so, ist ja wurscht. <lacht> zehn Tage Lohnarbeit, zehn Tage frei oder so ähnlich halt. Die ersten Tage... Die ersten drei Tage danach erholt man sich ja nur, um wieder zu sich zu kommen und normal zu sein. Das empfinde ich nicht als Freizeit. Das, was man als Wochenende bezeichnet, ist eigentlich unbezahlter Krankenstand, der einem halt gegönnt und hingeschmissen wird wie ein Kuli oder ein Gratiswürschel in der Nuclear City. Nach zwei bis drei Wochen im Urlaub, sagen sie, schüttet der Mensch Serotonin aus und nach zwei bis drei Wochen ist er auf einem gechillten Level. Aber das ist auch gefährlich, weil dann wird sozusagen deine Festplatte gelöscht, das heißt, die Rituale gehen verloren und es wird dann schwierig, in den Job zurückzufinden. Deswegen muss man aufpassen mit der Serotonin-Hängematte und dem Schweinehund. Das wollen wir nicht. Wie kann man dem Abhilfe schaffen? Es gibt Möglichkeiten. Man könnte zum Beispiel gezielt kleine Rituale in den Urlaubsalltag einbauen. Es reichen schon fünf Minuten. Zum Beispiel einfach morgens fünf Minuten Stechschritt am Strand machen. Das befreit den Geist und lockert den Verstand. Gut für die Durchblutung, wirklich. Jetzt immer zum Herzen hinauf die Füße. Einmal konzentriert man sich auf den einen Fuß, dann schnell einatmen anderen Fuß heben, visualisiert man, tritt wem in die Eier, stoßförmig die Luft wieder hinausschießen, wenn es kommen will, ruhig bellen, stöhnen, es ist okay, sich mit Blumen schmieren und es abschlecken, danach wieder einfach weiter Urlaub im Serotonin-Chaos in der Hölle. Vielleicht werden wir nicht dümmer, sondern aufgeklärter und die Diagnostik erschließt einfach nur die Störungen genauer und differenziert an uns herum und gibt allem eine Bezeichnung und checken einfach nur, wie deppert wir immer schon waren, weil früher die Leute dachten, es gibt entweder nur erleuchtete Genies oder verfluchte, verlorene Seelen mit Aussatz. Vielleicht ist es aber auch echt wegen dem Plastik und der Alufolie, wegen dem Jodmangel und den Umweltgiften, wegen den Abgasen, wegen dem Uhu, wegen Spritzmitteln im Gemüse und Antibiotika in der Wurst, wegen Würmern in der Milch und Viren im Fleisch, wegen der zunehmenden Abhängigkeit in den Industrienationen nach Produkten, Internet, Kaufzwang, Sex, Gewalt, Mobbing, Narzissmus, Alkohol, Heroin, Kokain, Fernsehen, Sport, Handys, Ketamin, allem, schlecht gestreckte Ware, turbokapitalistisch aufgepusht mit Müll und Backpulver, die uns zu Pavlovschen Ratten werden lassen, die kreischend durch den Merkur rennen und von diesen unsichtbaren Kauf-mich-Flüsterstimmen hypnotisiert sind, mit denen das, das Supermarktradio unterlegt ist. Und wir sind alle wie hängengebliebene Zombies, die Paranoia schieben die ganze Zeit und die Realität nicht mehr synchronisieren können mit den anderen, weil jede und jeder seinen eigenen Film schiebt wie die sensiblen Leute, die zu viel Party gemacht haben, zu früh noch in der Teenie-Zeit, wo noch nicht alles verbunden war. Und jetzt wohnen sie in einer zerstreuten Welt im Nichts. Laufen sie überfordert herum, nehmen alles auf und können nicht filtern, sind ständig überfordert, erschöpft, torkeln von verschissenem Vorstellungsgespräch zu verschissenem Vorstellungsgespräch mit dem kaputten Lebenslauf, stehen immer auf der Leitung, weil es stressig und hektisch ist für sie, haben keine Pläne, weil das ihr Zustand ist und sie sind damit beschäftigt, nur die nächsten Stunden durchzudrücken, ohne dass es wem auffällt. 
können nicht artikulieren, was mit ihnen eigentlich los ist, weil das ihr Zustand ist. Oder vielleicht haben wir zu viele Vitamine in der modernen Welt und der Körper kann sie nicht abbauen und lagert sie im Gehirn ab, weil dort viel freier Platz ist. Eigentlich ist viel unbenutzt im Kopf, also wirklich. Und wenn was kaputt, kaputt geht, springt ein neuer Bereich ein, aber kann jetzt eben nicht, weil dort so viel gestort ist und die Nervenbahnen verstopft. Wenn Umweltgifte deppert machen, warum ist dann die Situation am Land im Vergleich zur Stadt so demoliert? Vielleicht liegt es an der fehlenden geistigen Infrastruktur. Ah, vielleicht sind es was? Brandschutzmittel in der Industriekleidung? Wow, ich habe nicht gewusst, dass sie Feuerlöscher in die Bettwäsche einnähen. Das ist ja urliebevoll. Vielleicht haben wir es verschießen und Gott scheißt drauf und gibt uns auf und lässt uns degenerieren und eingehen und am Ende landen wir in der Mast, dumm wie Stroh und werden von Wölfen zu Running Sushi verarbeitet und niemand gibt einen Shit auf artgerechte Schlachtung, weil es heißt, wir haben eh kaum Nerven und kein Bewusstsein und kein richtiges Gehirn, da kann man das ja eh machen. Meerschweinchen sind super aggressiv und eine Gefahr. Sie zucken voll aus, wenn man sie nervt und springen einem angeblich an die Halsschlagader und reißen einen in den Tod. Sie streiten die ganze Zeit. Wenn wer Neuer in den Bau kommt, sagen sie nicht Hallo, rauben ihm die Chick aus und penetrieren ihn, erniedrigen und brechen ihn. Sie sind nicht zivilisiert. Außerdem steht da, die natürlichste Haltungsform für Meerschweinchen sind mehrere Weibchen mit einem Bock. Völlig daneben. Ich werde mir ein männliches Meerschweinchen nach dem anderen kaufen und es quälen. Eine sadistische Ära wird eingeleitet werden, an deren Ende sie mich um Häutung und Gnadentod in den Gulaschkessel anbetteln werden, nachdem ich ihre tausenden schriftlichen Ansuchen zerrissen und vor ihren Krokodilstränen Äuglein zerrissen und verbrannt haben werde und sie ausgepeitscht haben werde, bis er sich ihnen ins kollektive Mark gebrannt hat, wo der Hammer hängt und wie man sich benimmt. Dankeschön. So are we working a little? I don't know if you can tell, but the theme of this uh, evening makes me a bit nostalgic. Okay, this didn't work. I got, a, I came in backstage and I was like, hi! And everyone's like, hi, Denise, and I was like, nobody's gonna say anything about my outfit. Have you ever seen me like this on stage? What's up with you? Come on, this is the first time I think I've ever been on stage not wearing high heels. Yeah, I'm with the people now. <laughs> yeah. No, really, I, I was like, revolution, Josef, you're brilliant. I can smell the barricades already. Uh, yeah, I, get, I have very romantic ideas about the revolution. <laughs> It always, I always want to storm something. I'm like, let's storm this! Like, I want to storm the parliament and I want to chain myself to it. And like, I'm picturing it, you know, the big pillars. And now they're fucking renovating that shit. So now it's like, now it's a trailer park on Heldenplatz. How am I going to chain myself to that? And I was like, and go and push it if we're like enough people and go like, shake that. Yeah. I mean, that will work. But I, uh, yeah, I, uh, no, I, don't, I don't storm so many things anymore. God, I should have come up with a good joke about that, right? Yeah, uh, but I do go to the demos. I, I, I'm there most Thursdays, yes. With, yeah. Walking around with a can of beer in my hand. <laughs> Talking to my friend Martin, I usually walk with him and talk about stuff we're upset about. And we go like, but we're here, you know? Everybody's yelling around us. I can't yell, that makes me so uncomfortable. I can't do that. <laughs> I still, I'm 43 years old, and I still do this when everybody go like, Siamo tutti anti, I'm like, 
And I hope that nobody will notice that like, like nobody's hearing anything from me. I can't do that. It's just too uncomfortable. And then Martin wants to talk again about how he's so upset with today's youth and their socks. Yeah. The naked, naked ankles things. Yeah. Yeah. He, he cannot take that. He cannot deal with that. Last time, seriously, I had like a one hour conversation about this. No, I didn't always used to be like this. No, I used to, <laughs> I used to be really, really badass. It started with, uh, uh, I discovered feminism. This is my original hoodie. It even says from which year it's on. It says Red Press 2000. So it's 19 years old. Yeah, I was a late bloomer, don't judge. And don't do maths. Uh, yeah, so I, it was started with feminism, and then I went to my first big demo, and then I like started my very intense hate for the police. And uh, yeah, anyone who's ever been like really beaten up badly by the cops will never go and say like, no violence, no violence. I hate that. That makes me so upset. And it's always about people like destroying material things, and they go like, oh my God, it's so bad. And they like smashed all the McDonald's windows. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's really bad. But that cop that like, just shot somebody in the back. Yeah, well, you know, it's their job. And I'm like, okay. And then I always go like, okay, how do you think that women got the right to vote? Like through hugging? No, seriously. Or asking nice. It's like, no, you're not going to ask nice. So I got super mad and I didn't know what to do. So I started, I invented um, tiny like everyday little acts of resistance. Yeah, it started, the first one it started with was that I, uh, I used to yell at uh, straight couples making out in public. <laughs> yeah, and what I yelled was, <laughs> like not maybe directed, right? Like I don't know why I was obsessed with this, but I was like, it's because people like me, they, people like you have the right to vote today. I mean, it helped because they stopped. <laughs> and we we're like, what? <laughs> like, yeah, there you go. <laughs> and the other thing, another thing that I did was that I, um, I peed everywhere. When I needed to pee, I, I, I was going to pee because that's, well, yeah, woo, okay, thanks. Okay, <laughs> sure, woo. Uh, so I <laughs> I'm going to say that the next time somebody reacts. I'm going to go, woo, excuse me. <laughs> Because dudes were doing that everywhere, and I was like, I will also do that. And, and, I, and I, like, I, of course, you know, I sat between cars, whatever, but my favorite was like when it was like festivals or something. You know, ever been to a festival, and you know you have a row of guys, like it's like 50 million dudes standing, you know, everybody's peeing, and I loved going like and sitting between them. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, so, so, okay. But do you see something wrong with this picture? <laughs> I'm like, okay, free shower. <laughs> Joke's on you, man. Yeah, that, that was a little bit gross. But I had to prove my point, so you know, I wouldn't stop. But my favorite thing to do was counting things. Like not, uh, not cutting, but counting. Um, do you know like this uh, guys who go to parties and then they dick stuff? Like people with penises uh, like to put their penis like on plates or toothbrushes and stuff. Is that a Swedish thing? I don't <laughs> <laughs> in Sweden? Yeah, we keep it in Sweden. Okay, let me tell you more about this. <laughs> Maybe you can teach your children. Yes. No. Uh, so 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 then I was like, this happened a lot. We went to parties, and then like I got so fucking pissed off, and I'm like, I'm gonna take that, so I'm gonna start counting things, and so I just like counted everything. <laughs> I counted like I counted a lot of people also, like if they were sitting down, like the dudes. I was went and I was like <laughs> humping like humping their shoulder. They were like, what? And I'm like, I can't. got counted, you know. It's really bad. So I was counting the shows. But my favorite thing to do in this was like pre-mobile phones. Uh, so people were like running around with their little cameras. Yeah, now, now Anus just got it. Somebody explained to him what I was doing. 
still love me. Uh, so um, I love to take people's cameras and, and count, and when I say uh, uh, people, I mean uh, dickhead assholes, and take the cameras and count them and take a picture. Yeah, I have to this day no idea who I'm supposed to punish with that. <laughs> and the thing is, I did this all the time. It just made me feel so good knowing, you know, that they are like, then go and they p develop their film and then they go like, what the fuck is this? Like the backside of the moon? <laughs> like, <laughs> what is this? Yeah. So, uh, those were the little tricks and tips that I uh, used to make... Uh, this shitty society and life here a little bit easier to live. Maybe I inspired some of you to <laughs> come up with your own little things. The next person um, performing, uh, never, I thought it was so clever, never dicks around, but is definitely always a cunt. And that is now a good thing, by the way. Yes, we turn it to something positive. A big applause to Amen. Hello. It's great to be back. I believe it was Dutzi Eisenhower or President Eisenhower uh, or possibly President Kennedy who said, ask not what the revolution can do for you, ask what you can do for the revolution. And... Um, I have to say it's already time for me to face the fact because in my case, the clear answer is nothing. And I can also quote you Marx, well, Groucho Marx, I refuse to join any revolution that would have me as an activist. No, the most revolutionary thing I ever did was calling in sick at my day job. <laughs> and, and I did call in sick even though, wait for it, even though I did not feel sick at all, I lied. Okay, it was, it was just for one day, and I did not enjoy that day. And I went in the next Sunday without punching the clock, but, but still, for a minute or two, it made me feel like such a rebel. Because, come on, they need me at the bookstore, right? Like, Fifty Shades of Grey does not sell itself. Full disclosure, people, I am um, a petit bourgeois drone of capitalism, a conformist. When I read about a demo that ended with just one trash can kicked over, or even just one window smashed, I'm not as brave as Denise. My first thought is not, yes, burn it to the ground, tear it all down. My first thought is not even, um, I hope no one got hurt. No, it's actually just, who's going to clean all that up? <laughs> and, and when I hear people yelling into megaphones, fuck capitalism, I'm like, okay, but while you do that, can, can you keep the noise down a bit because some people have work in the morning? <laughs> okay. I mean, don't get me wrong, I, I agree, I totally agree there needs to be a revolution, but why? I mean, why do revolutions always have to come with so much conflict? I mean, if, yeah, I mean, if we look back at history, um, wouldn't, don't you think that some revolutions would have been more successful in the long run? if the revolutionaries had maybe been a bit more polite and restrained, like, say, Robespierre, if, if he hadn't sent so many people to the guillotine, there's a strong chance he would have been able to keep his own head, right? Or take Lenin and the Bolsheviks, instead of overthrowing the Tsar and uh, killing him along with his whole family, couldn't they have just, I don't know, written them a strongly worded letter or started an online petition? And just imagine if Che Guevara, instead of leading a guerrilla war, if he had become a folk singer, performing his successful protest songs on big stages all over the world, I'm pretty sure he would have sold even more t-shirts. <laughs> well, people, it's, it's not like I'm, I'm proud of being such a faint-hearted wimp. I, I, I'm fully aware that this kind of attitude is not just counter-revolutionary, it might be an actual character flaw. But as we all know, the best thing to deal with our own shortcomings and failures is to blame them on somebody else. And I've, I find in most cases it's best to blame the parents. You know, if you're a young person like most of you, it's, that's kind of socially acceptable, right? To blame the parents for your failures. When you're my age, though, 
uh, that maybe doesn't go over so well with many people, but when you're my age, the advantage is the parents might already be too old to care anyway, or maybe they live far away or, or you, and you don't see them very often, or maybe in some cases the parents just don't speak enough English to understand their son's stage performances in VUC, which is honestly the only reason why this son would still perform in English, even though his first language is German and the comedy club is in a German-speaking country. So, but, but this was just a general remark. On a completely unrelated note, I would like to tell you something about my upbringing now. <laughs> and I grew up in the silly little town of Dornbirn for Alberg. Well, my condolences to you. And, and so did my father. And concerning the revolution, I wasn't always the hopeless case that I am today. You know, when I was a teenager, I became, like many of us, very interested in the big social and political changes of the 1960s. Student protests, counterculture, radical leftism, the year 1968. And it occurred to me that my father was born in 1947. So he was exactly the right age to have been part of that generation of young people that inspired me so much, that had such a huge impact on our whole cultural climate until today. And okay, so uh, I admit Dornbin is not exactly Paris. That was painfully obvious to me when I uh, wasted my youth there. But, but I was sure something must have gone on in 1968, even in Vorarlberg. And so I just asked my father, Dad, how was you in 1968? Did you want to change the world and overthrow the system? You were 21, you must have some wild stories to tell. Were you a revolutionary? And my dad kind of just thought about that for a few seconds. And then he said something like, I remember I had long hair and a beard. And I did do some crazy things. Did you know, son, that in 1968 in Vorarlberg, we had only one newspaper, Vorarlberger Nachrichten. It was very conservative and everyone read it. And even though there were, of course, different political parties, everyone, almost everyone, just voted for the ÖVP. And at that point, I, had, I just had to interrupt him and say, okay, dad, I didn't know that because it's basically the same today, but <laughs> please go on. And my father's story went on. He said, one day when I came home from studying in the big city, he was talking about Innsbruck, by the way, one, one day when I came home, I brought something with me, something that I had secretly got hold of in the city, a French newspaper. <laughs> And not just any French newspaper, it was a left-wing French newspaper. It was called Liberation. And I carried it around me under my arm while walking through Dornbirn. Everyone could see that I had it. And when I arrived at the Marktplatz, I sat down in front of a cafe and I opened Liberation and I read it in public. <laughs> I'm like, okay, Dad, and then what happened? What happened was that several people gave me quite disapproving looks. Although now that I think about it, that might have, been, might have had something to do with the hair and the beard and everything. But I remember now that, I remember distinctly, but on my way home, I was definitely bullied because of the French newspaper. Yes, the neighbor's kid saw it, and he asked me if I could help him with his French homework. And I said, Dad, how is that bullying? And my father says, you know, that was a joke at my expense. That guy knew damn well I could not speak a word of French. You know, that conversation with my father, it happened almost 30 years ago. And after all this time, I still have some kind of trouble getting over the fact that this story was my father's completely straight-faced response to my question if he was a revolutionary. Like this, I, cannot, I can just not forget this baffling, completely pointless tale of walking around with a newspaper in Dornbirn in 1968. And so I did some research and I looked up some of the details of my father's uprising. And it is true that Liberation was and still is a left-leaning French newspaper. It was co-founded by Jean-Paul Sartre, but it didn't exist in 1968. <laughs> it was founded in 73, which means that either the revolution in Dornbirn happened more than five years later than my father remembered, 
Or, and that seems more likely, the revolution in Dornbirn never happened at all, and my father just made the whole thing up. <laughs> I mean, and, and now think about this. I mean, of all possible wild stories and fake anecdotes a father could tell his son <laughs> to make up a colorful past that he didn't really have, my father chose this story. So, well, I just have to say, I mean, now that you know a little bit about where I'm coming from, is it any wonder that I don't like revolutions? I mean, what's the, seriously, what's the point of becoming a revolutionary if all that you achieve is that half a century later your own son makes fun of it on a stage? I mean, seriously. Okay, I see some skeptical faces here, here and I understand if some of you think that's no excuse for me, right? Some of you might even think this Armin guy, he's, he's not part of the solution, he's part of the problem. And when I am queen, Armin will be first against the wall. And to that I say, okay, fair enough. I will not ask for your mercy. I will only ask for one last thing. If your revolution is successful, or your revolution, or maybe your revolution, and you all send people to arrest me, just please make sure you don't uh, send these people during working hours. That would really be bad for business. <laughs> Have a nice night. <laughs> Das war der Armin Rosenberg! Woo! Ähm, es ist so, manche revolutionäre Erfahrungen erlebt man halt so nur für sich selbst. Hashtag Selfcare. Und äh, bei mir ist zum Beispiel so, ähm, ich habe 2017 habe ich für mich entdeckt so die Kichererbsennudeln. Man kann halt ähm, so low on carbs, aber sehr viel Proteine. Ja, okay. Und da, und da, da kommt jetzt keine Pointe. Das ist das, ist, das ist das, was ich nenne Service Comedy. Also einfach nur so coole Fakten. <lacht> okay, ähm, weil jetzt ist nämlich Pause und es ist für euch die Zeit, äh, dass ihr euch bei der Bar ein paar Carbs holt. Und wir sehen uns in 15 Minuten wieder hier. Das ist eine Zigarette. Danke!